Hello, welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, Carlos Cooper, with me as always... Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. And we are going to, I think, well, maybe drink a beer. Well, we will, about, for sure, yeah. And talk about some movies. If we're not drinking a beer, let's turn off these microphones and leave. I think we have to now. <laughs> you said it. What are we drinking first before we get to the movie, which is a big mystery to everybody because no one looked at the title of the episode. Right. I've got it in my hand. I'll let someone else give it a proper introduction, but uh, it is called Chaucer's Mead. <laughs> it is a mead. Mead, right. I hope, in the tradition of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. A mead for all seasons. Cold or hot, spiced or not, and if you're a beer aficionado, then you know that <laughs> then you know that mead and beer are somewhat different. What the, what what the hell are we doing breaking formula? Yeah, well, so for our listeners, I'm sure who who already know this, uh, I apologize, but for anybody who doesn't, mead is a drink based in the fermentation of honey. So the the base of uh, you know sort of malted barley that you would have with Beer, typically defining beer, uh, has has been replaced here by honey, and that's what the sugars are that get those yeast working. And sometimes you can get a uh, still a pretty carbonated, almost beer like quality out of meads, especially they they've been doing like hopped meads mm-hmm. and dry hopped meads mm-hmm. and all that. So there's people experimenting with this, but this is a fairly straightforward one. We've never had one on the show before. We're called beer in a movie, not mead in a movie. But given the pairing with the film this week, I couldn't help but think. Now, I did, just side note, I know some of our listeners are going to be thinking this themselves. Yes, we could have done a beer de miel, right? A beer that has incorporated honey into its fermentation process. Um, and there's one that I love from Jester King that I've had in the past. Yeah. I do not happen to have a bottle, nor could I find a bottle of one on the shelves. Distributed locally, uh, this mead is served in what resembles more a wine bottle than any kind of beer bottle right it's got the viscosity of wine and pours like a white wine in in appearance and yeah. um yeah that's accurate. body that's right accurate. and abv i mean it's an 11 percent oh. abv which oh. for us is you know par Average. for the course yeah because <laughs> we're drinking Almost. those imperial stouts but this you know more in league with the wine most people would treat it closer to a wine although there are some lower abv meads out there we used to get a really good one around here called Meridian Hive and Cans. Did they just fold or stop distributing down here? we still get it sometimes. I haven't seen it in a long time. I feel like I saw it at a... Kind of a sporadic distribution situation. Yeah, I feel like I saw it recently. Well, while we're drinking, a mead will come into focus soon, but before that, there was a bit of, I guess, beer news, certainly, but... um, a continuation of a story we talked about three or four years. No, that's not true. Three or four years ago. <laughs> three or four episodes ago. Sure, the, Sorry, the it's hard. This eleven percent. This eleven percent's gone straight to my head. Yeah. Um. A few episodes ago, we were talking about Carbach versus Shinerbach or Spetzel yeah. Brewery here in Texas, and I said out loud, "I mean, when do you draw the line on a on a when a craft brewery is purchased by one of the big boys?" And one of the largest sales that I can recall was the $1 billion buyout of Ballast Point out of San Diego, California Mm -hmm. to the Constellation Group. And everyone's jaw dropped at the price tag and the notion that Ballast Point had sold out. This was a couple of years ago. Who? What are the main like flagship breweries for Constellation? Is I that don't the know. Heineken Group. Or? That's a great question. Uh, I think Modelo, Corona, Pacifico. Uh, okay. They, okay. they have a lot of the Mexican lagers okay. that are in the market. Okay. 
And so, you know, we see dis- distributed down here still is a ballast point in a pinch at a bar. I'll order a Sculpin IPA. I don't think that they've lost a lot of quality since that buyout, but, but, but big news. And we've been talking about that a lot recently. I thought we'd talk about this ballast yeah. point newest chapter well, of the story. Right. I mean, th- this, this was a strange one in that it, it's the first of its kind where you've had a brand or a, a company, be- brewery, get bought out by one of these mega conglomerates and then later on down the road a couple of years later get sold to a much smaller party very small right so this is they they were sold the kings and convicts which is based out of chicago but it's funny because i'm i spent some time in chicago i try to stay up on chicago beer and chicago beer news um, I've never heard of this brewery, and and everything I've been reading about them has said like most Chicagoans don't even know. <laughs> but shady small scale brewery. <laughs> that well, is shady. apparently, but the real money behind it, there is this wine magnate um, who who owns a few brands that people may recognize. Uh, was a uh, flip flop cupcake 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 so, wine right? So the, these some of these lower price tier wines that you're seeing in your supermarkets right. and and whatnot. Um, or restaurants, as we were talking about, <laughs> of, of lower quality, perhaps, at least in their wine selection. They, uh, This guy who's behind those brands and, and has other business ventures has sort of bankrolled this brewery. And people are saying they probably paid 75 to $200 million somewhere. They're not disclosing the amount publicly. But given that it was sold just, for, what was it, four years ago? Right, for a billion. For a billion. Now, they... They split so, off part of the, they had a spirits line and they split that off and they're doing some stuff with that. So I guess they retained some of it, but still to drop from a billion to at most 20% of that at if, most, or maybe even less than even 10%. Less, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that is. Uh, but, it's a huge drop in market value and certainly not a great return on that investment. No. But, but weirdly brings them back into an independent, beer. I mean, yeah. this, like I say, bankrolled by this guy, but he doesn't, he isn't really unto himself right. a mega conglomerate. And he's not competing or trying to cannibalize within the At least not yet. Yeah, but I, but I guess he yet. does, those other wine brands have wins at various restaurants and... Yeah. So is any line that anyone has drawn to not drink Ballast Point... <laughs> Will that change back? Vanished. <laughs> I, I, I hope so, because uh, Carlos, yeah. I don't think you're as big a fan as me of the Ballast Point line, but I, I've always enjoyed many, not all, but many of their beers. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can really think of from theirs that I've ever had that has left any kind of lasting impression has been the Victory at Sea. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Imperial, Imperial Porter. Porter. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's still not one that I, like, go to on a right. regular basis. And not that I have anything against him. Like, I've never, I, you know, I never even knew enough about them to have known that they sold for a billion dollars. That was before my foray into craft beer. So I didn't even know about that. I didn't even know that they weren't an indie brewery. I just didn't pay any attention to them. Mm -hmm. And I do remember seeing an article a while back about them sitting on like a ton of dead stock and like not being able to move. Well, they've gone from, they were producing something like 400,000 barrels worth at their height, which was probably around when they were sold to now. I think they're doing about half that. Annually. Do they have to like close a canning facility or maybe like, brewery I, or something? I, know I know that know. they have multiple tap room locations, including they actually have one in Chicago, which oh, is really? you know they're actually based in California. But yeah, yeah, yeah I think uh, it's probably about a year ago. Our friend Razzie and that brews mm-hmm. in San Francisco had posted something about it, and I didn't really think anything of it except that like oh here's like a big quote unquote craft brewery that's not 
doing is hot now. And right. I, don't know. I just well, they really got ambitious with the expansion. I mean, they they started going into it was shortly after they came to Texas, and they were just trying to hit all the states. Yeah, and they were also, I mean, I don't know. They, they, Sculpin is a beer that I enjoyed mm-hmm. when I first was introduced to it. I still can probably appreciate it. I like the grapefruit, um, right? And that was one of the first times There's I had a pineapple had like variation a as well. Fruit like blended that. beer that I thought was pretty good and i think in some ways it was kind of a, a little precursor to the obsession with more citrusy tropical IPA. ipas that came yeah. just you know right on its heels with the hazy and new england and yeah, so boy. they never got on that they were kind of just pre that but um i don't know i mean i'd like to think that they can keep doing stuff but they did they were making some bad they made like some watermelon double ipa and these other ones, I remember going to Tapology one night and getting a flight of these things, and I was just like, garbage, trash. Yeah. This is, I mean, three or four in a row where I'm like, oh, these guys have lost uh, lost the fucking script. They don't understand. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, it'll be interesting to see as they, I guess, downsize operations even perhaps uh, where they go. Yeah, I thought it was that fascinating. I think, I mean, all of us think that to lose up to yeah, 80% of a billion dollar investment. Right. That's possibly more it talks about the market it talks about the market a lot and yeah not overvaluing the, the these they, buyouts whenever they occur yeah they potentially lost over 900 million dollars <laughs> yeah which is bananas well you can but, you can make that back on a on a good weekend with uh Modelo and the like sure, sure. I guess. Those, are pop, those are popular beer yeah. yeah uh but to get to our movie for the week yeah, why are we why, drinking a mead and why we're drinking a mead we are talking about uh the new film starring and written by Shia LaBeouf, and it is Honey Boy. This is a film that is about his troubled relationship with his uh, father as he was a young child star coming up. Um, you know, a somewhat uh, abusive situation he was in as a, as a, as a child actor. It is um, directed by the Iranian-American documentary filmmaker Alma Harrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, um, you know, it's on the heels of, you know, an interesting year for Shia, which we'll talk about in whole, but also, you know, some, uh, run-ins with the law and, uh, some off-screen scandal and trouble that he got into. And, uh, this is, uh, it addresses it somewhat, but I don't think the intention of the film is to address it. It's to explore Mm. this relationship he had with his father, who he still does have a relationship with. Uh, As I understand, rekindled. Uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That, like he, Shia watched over Skype. His dad watched the movie. Okay. He didn't watch it with him right. or necessarily talk to him about it, but he watched. A camera his, trained on his dad on his face, he, and wow. he watched him watch the film. Uh, now, before we should probably synopsize the film a little bit, but before, before we do, yes, the theater. Yeah. At the top of this episode, when we recorded, we talked. Um, for whatever godforsaken reason, at great length about the specific no, no, movie, a reason. specific movie theater, uh, in which we saw the first film of this episode. If um, you like good movie theater stories, or you're familiar Bad with that, or if you're familiar with said theater and you would like to listen to that, stay tuned after the credits roll, and you will get to hear that entire conversation. If you l- could not give a shit less, then as soon as you hear that theme song come back in, you can just go ahead and turn it off. Do whatever you want to do. It's uh, it's your life. I'm not telling you what to do with it. But 
If you want to hear it, stay just a little longer than you normally do, and you will get it in full. Speaking of negative reviews of things, God. I have seen a very alarming number of negative reviews of this movie. Really? And it quite frankly angers me. Does it? Uh, not angers me, but um, I just think I just think what a pretentious fuck you are if like you watch this movie and you're like, oh, this self indulgent, oh, this like blah 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 blah. Like dude, it has a ni- you- it has ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I know, but it, I, when we get to I, me, I'll I, try to rephrase it. And I and I understand that, but when I Googled it, like within the first two pages, I clicked on like two or three really bad reviews, and I think I kept them up. Uh, yeah. For some, there was one that was, uh, I think it was, well, it was the New York Times. Sorry, I got it. And uh, fuck Glenn Kenny. <laughs> uh, he said he he's giving Shia LaBeouf all this shit for like not making himself accountable himself enough. Off or the like, fuck you, man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. So, so yeah, what's the let, film about? The the film, as as Carlos said earlier, written by Shia LaBeouf starring Shia LaBeouf, reeking of the pheromones of Shia LaBeouf. I mean, if you were in that theater and you weren't aroused, I don't know how you were human. That doesn't Joe? exist. Yeah. Well, Joe's going to explain to us I didn't say I later. wasn't aroused. No, oh, okay. Anyway. That's perpetually. Right. No. <laughs> Just at all times. Yeah, but, right now. But this is a... Me loose, does that. I was going to say you love me. Loosely autobiographical film about a young boy named Otis who is clearly the stand-in for Shia LaBeouf. Even down to the four-letter in first right. name. Um, and his father, who's acting as his, uh, well, guardian slash... Uh, chaperone. Chaperone. He gets paid wh- to chaperone. When he's doing these acting gigs. And you're seeing, you know, the film starts with him at the age of, like, in his 20s, early 20s. Yeah, early 20s. Yeah. Um, but you quickly flash back to, th- through the device that he's going through therapy, Right. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's forced into a rehab program. He goes into therapy and he's supposed to sort of diary, create a diary about his earlier life and, you know, Try his Try to childhood. identify the trauma trauma that triggers his right. Well, he's diagnosed PTSD. So I didn't go to a war. How could I possibly be, be uh, PTSD? And they said 11. Wait, did you live in a flea bag motel with your dad? That's it. Yes. That's you, you That's did the, the flea bag motel thing, and so he begins to uh, yeah diary, and then the diary takes the uh, the cinematic right, and so we're seeing him notion in, of a flashback in these flashbacks, year. which are rather extended and become the bulk of the film. Really, yeah, you see a twelve year old version of him being played by what's that actor's name? I think it's Noah. It was yeah, that sounds right. It was Noah Joop. Noah Joop. 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 Noah Joop. Yeah, he is um, the oldest. Uh, he's the boy in a quiet place. That's oh, interesting. Oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. And Lucas Hedges plays the older version, who, mm-hmm. who yeah. we've seen in in many things over recent years. Yeah, he looked super familiar, and I forgot to look at his IMDb page to see where I'd seen him before. Um, Lady Bird, right? Oh, and, yes. Uh, he, I don't know. He's he's been in a number of things over the last. He's few been years. in stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so so these two different versions of him. You know, one slightly older, one younger. The younger one living with his father in a flea bag motel. Yeah. Um, that you know uh, is essentially a flop house. There's prostitutes across the parking lot from them that they're constantly interacting with, and a pimp. Although he doesn't really seem to act much like a pimp. Anyway, I think she is. You think the the, the older woman, woman is, was yeah. the pimp, and yeah. who was the guy? Just some, some <laughs> just dude. their pal. Okay, just all right. Dude. No, the, 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 maybe the pimp's maybe. man. 
Yeah, maybe. A pimp can be a woman, David. I'm 2019, uh, dude. That's fine. He seemed pimpish to me in his garb. <laughs> okay. But that, yeah. And being situated where he was. But anyhow, yeah. th- living in this environment, um, but also acting and going to these Hollywood sets and, and filming. And so you're seeing this sort of back and forth between these different eras and these different spaces that this guy exists in and, and what impact that's had on him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought that. I mean, I guess that if you wanted to take the most cynical view of it, you could say that it's self-indulgent or like that it's whatever. But I thought it was, you know, a very brave artistic move for him to put himself in the space of having to portray his like own abusive father. Like that can't be like easy for him to do, you know? And I we've seen over the years that shy can get very method in Mm. his, um, the way that he does things like in fury, he had like a tooth removed, uh, cause his character was missing a tooth. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And like Mm -hmm. in Charlie countryman, he, uh, actually did acid for a scene where his character is supposed to be on acid. And, you know, he's like obviously dialed it back from there, uh, in, you know, his recovery and correcting some of that behavior. Yeah. Um, but you know, he gets very invested in, you know, the, uh, roles that he portrays. And I thought that I didn't think that it, I don't think it shied away from anything. It was very intense. It was at some, at times hard to watch. And I don't even know that I think it lets himself off the hook because I think that you see in this movie, a young boy who knows that he's in a bad situation, but still so, He's trapped in a bad situation. Well, he's not trapped. He's got money. He's got his dad by the balls. Yeah, but you have to have a a, you have to have a legal guardian. You have to have in the film industry. You have to have a legal guardian there. I understand that. And this is his because his mom is absent. I mean, she's present in the film via telephone conversation, but clearly it has been decided between the two of them that he he the father played by Shia LaBeouf, which is what I call him. I'm sorry, is going to uh, be the one. Yeah, he but he refers to his dad as a chaperone though, and I don't know that I know the exact. I don't. I'm. I don't. I know that I don't know mm-hmm. the exact like legal parameters mm-hmm. of child acting, but he refers to him as a chaperone, which to me implies that it doesn't have to be like a legal at all times guardian. It's just somebody. But but in order, as I understand it, to to create a new relationship for yourself, you're going to have to get uh, emancipated from both of your parents to get a business relationship with someone else to do what the father's going to do. Either way, I'm saying it's not outside of his means to do something about it, and it is clearly something. It is clearly a relationship he, as a boy, identifies to be harmful. Mm-hmm. He knows that he despite, while all the time seeking out this seeking father's that love and approval and validation. That's what I'm saying, and I think. In in uh, his retrospection of looking at back at that time of his life, he sees that he, to a degree, is enabling him. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that this guy... But, but maybe too young to understand even what that word means at the time. I don't think that fucking Glenn Kenny knows what the fuck is going on. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he... I think that he is showing that, like, I was a young man that wanted so badly for my father's approval that... I allowed these things to happen. And obviously it's more about his, even though the movie is called Honey Boy, it's more about his dad than it is about him. 
In some ways, yeah. I mean, he's it's, the central character. It's about their relationship. It's about w- w- what impact that kind of relationship had on, well, both of them to some extent, I guess. But you know, I I I agree. I, I think largely with what you're saying, but I don't think that it is in any way like an excuse. If anything, it seems like it does make the kid more complicit in the whole thing than. I would expect a typical film about a negligent parent to do. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're treated as equals in a certain sense. Certainly yeah. by the end of the film, it seems like they've come to an understanding. Um, but I think one of the things I liked about it, and I did like it generally, I, I, think, I thought it was good, um, was that they were able to navigate a very um, sort of, you know, very well-worn Oedipal kind of story of son trying to, you know, kill the father. And instead of just making it land one way, like instead there was this kind of weird negotiation that went on and they end up at this point where they've kind of reached an understanding, at least for that moment. And I mean, obviously things would probably evolve from there, but we're kind of left with this feeling like, their whole thing is is this back and forth of you know this is how much I'm gonna get I'm gonna act as the parent here oh wait no now you're in control now I'm a, it was a weird it was a weird thing to see well, well it, weird I think well I I just want to weird in re- that it was unique weird I, in that like you don't usually see father son films go in that direction I just want to reinforce my assertion that the film is about his dad because I think that the you know, it's called Honey Boy. His dad is on the poster, yeah. like is the one on the poster. And I think that the movie is Shia trying to understand what his dad was going through at the time and understand what made him tick and why he was the way that he was. And to like, and maybe not even understand because maybe he had already figured out those mm-hmm. things, but to try to empathize with him in a way that made him more empathetic to like what his dad was going through. And I, cause I think that really, I mean, what the movie shows is a lot of is him like doing things and trying to figure out like how to not resent his son for being his boss and, you know, all these things. And, um, it is about their relationship, but I just feel like that more of the emphasis is on his dad. And so I think it's unfair to give Shia any criticism about how he portrays himself, especially because, I mean, there are obviously things that are fictionalized to a hmm. great degree. And I I also saw two other critiques that I didn't care for. One, that Lucas Hedges, the older one's name, mm-hmm. right, took on too many of Shia's, like, cadence and mannerisms. It's like, dude, he's fucking playing Shia LaBeouf. Like, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why is that a bad... So fucking dumb. And the other one that FKA Twigs' is, uh, casting was... Uh, distracting. I read one review, and then and then and then up to like ten people in the audience who recognize FKA. I know, and then and then I and then I read in this fucking smug fucks review. Um, it says it says here. Um, I think the title for this episode is reviewing the reviewers. Right. This this guy says um, the movie makes a point of the. This is the Glenn Kennedy, New York times guy movie makes a point of showing him striking out with a beautiful woman. Uh, the music and dance artist FK twigs, whose casting indicates the hypnosis quotient to which the movie aspires. And boy, do I fucking hate that sentence. <laughs> hypnosis quotient to which the movie, ex- uh, can, uh, aspires. aspires. I don't, I don't 
get that at all. I don't. I did not know much uh, about the director pri- Kenny, prior to seeing the film Alma mm-hmm. Harrell. I look forward to maybe diving into finding yeah, out a little bit more of what she did. Yeah, yeah. because the direction is, is there. The cinematography is there. It's a small budget film by all practical knowledge mm-hmm. and uh you can tell that they've brought together interesting actors who all i think do a fine performance i think shia labeouf's performance is fantastic the young and the old shia labeouf characters if you will uh otis are are, are fantastic um unlike you carlos and maybe you just i know see here's the thing is i knew i was walking into the room of a shia labeouf uh devotee i know you're a big big fan and I um, am a fan as well, but to me, uh, the research I did after I saw the film had nothing to do with reading reviews of the film. It was more about understanding how autobiographical this was. That, that was the fascinating part for me. See, I had done that before I saw it. I watched it. I watched so many interviews with him. I walked in, in pretty cold. I mean, I, I, I watched the trailer. You know, I, I might have, uh, and I didn't even read a review going into it. I didn't do that. Um, my companions going to the film did because I was taking them to something they had never heard of before, you know. Um, my problem with the film is, is not any of the elements of filmmaking that were, that were cr- used to create it. I, f- I felt that all of them were fine. My problem with the film was that, it might be difficult to explain, is that there are autobiographical films made by a filmmaker. Uh, Squid and the Whale leaps to mind. There are autobiographical elements there, but if you take it out, if you take out the notion that it's autobiographical of any of the filmmakers involved, it's still a standalone interesting film where you don't have to discuss the autobiography of it at all. Because if it's an autobiography, let's call that character Shia, and let's call the father the name of the father. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to rename the characters and try to just, you know, not hide that that's what's going on, because you can't in any of the marketing and any of the the criticism or, or reviews of the film... If you take that piece of out of it, it's a pretty basic movie that's not that to no. me. Ex- I don't. I don't awesome. know if I. Go, I don't know if I'd go basic. I. I mean, I can. I. I was kind of going with you there for a second. Where <laughs> I, it, I'm just saying, like from the standpoint of if we're doing this exercise, let's just be obvious about it and mm-hmm. not try to pretend that by naming the character Otis and and giving the father a different name that like somehow we're telling a different story. And the end credit sequence shows that this is what we were doing. This is when you see photographs of Shia and his father. Right. But I do not, real photographs during the credit sequence. I would in no way call this a basic film. I mean, this is a very, the, the framing device there with the flashbacks is not always so clearly telegraphed. There's a lot of like shifting in time that I just don't think you're going to see in your basic film and your, even your basic autobiography. I think that there's some stuff going on there. Certainly with some of the more surreal sequences where, where they kind of bring in, um, you know, the, towards the end there when the Lucas Hedges character, when we kind of blend the timeline. Right. So, like, so there's stuff going on in there that I think... A chicken that leads him home. Yes, right. The, the recurrence of the chicken is a symbol throughout the film and on the poster. Um, As a chicken owner, I was very happy with there that. There you go, yeah, right? There's something for everyone. So I don't... I, I guess I just... When you said basic film, that makes me... Uh, no, I think, I think... I understand what you're saying. That yeah, I'm not going to say much more because I think I'm going to be the minority in the room. Mm-hmm. The film, I, I should don't... lead you to say more. 
So I beg your pardon? That should lead you to say more. <laughs> yeah, no, as the minority in the room, to me, you're going I'm the to... the minority I, in the room. I, I, like, I, I liked the movie very much. The performances were fantastic. All the Philip... Uh, the filmmaking elements were great, mm-hmm. but I want to divorce this from the material, yeah. or it's just a piece of I mean, art. Honest- and if that's what we're doing here, right? Then I, I am going to appreciate it a little bit. Well, that's so. That's where I would go. Is that I think that it's hard for me to say. All films because are a piece of art, but I hope you understand my point. I know who Shia LaBeouf is, mm-hmm. and I know is it that. But I'd like to think if I could take that away, I would still have found this an interesting film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't think it would have killed my experience of this film. If anything, I might have liked it even a little bit more if it was totally just divorced from any sense that, oh, this is a person in the real world who has had an experience like this. I don't know. I I liked it. So my thing with all of this is, one, I think that if you remove the whole Shia aspect of it, and he was just an actor in a movie written by somebody else. Or a different actor in that role. uh, Yeah, sure. Um that it's still a good movie and that it still tells an interesting story. The narrative is very well put together and it does it in an interesting way where it's not the typical we'll watch him as a child and it'll build and it'll build and it'll build and the climactic scene is going to be that car crash because that would have been boring. We've seen that before. Uh Or some Um, kind of tearful thing with the father where he understands the error of his ways. Yeah, some bullshit like that. Right. Um, And even then, like... Even the moments where you see his father in a redemptive light, he then, as himself, comes back around and says, okay, well, yeah, but even in those moments, he's still somewhat performative or somewhat still spinning the story in a way that uh, is better for himself, which I also think is an interesting uh, tidbit as I'm saying it, and I hadn't quite thought about it until just now, that his dad is constantly berating him for lying for a living and for being disingenuous. Uh, because of the nature of his craft, but really he's the one that's performing all oh, the time. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I think... He's a master sociopath. Uh, yeah, I think that at this point, and uh, David probably thinks about this a little more than I do and may agree or disagree with me, but I think that at this point, we can just accept that intercontextuality is a part of modern-day art as it is. Yeah. Like, it's so... We know this and that about this and that, and so many things connect and kind of reference each other that it's just what it is. And we have reached a point where it is more or less impossible or at the very least a somewhat frivolous exercise to try to view everything as a singular thing in and of itself. Right. Um, Right. So I don't begrudge the intercontextuality of like, oh, I know shia i watched like i can i see things in honey boy where i'm like oh yeah that's a reference to this even stevens episode or you know this is clearly see that's good see i don't have that kind of deep knowledge i mean and i was wondering actually in some of those sequences because they do um you know sort of dramatize the making of a couple specific scenes one where he's like dancing in a living room or like dressed as dressed up as a a woman like a lady yeah and i figured that referenced something but i'm not and then another where it's like a dinner table scene with a father there's a part where he's like he's like lifting weights oh no i'm not doing anything yeah 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 Um, but those are all specific i don't know i don't know i'm not saying they all were okay there were at least a few i reckon but clearly the uh grown-up shia stand-in character on the the special effects laden film is is a transformer. You can hear the transformer sounds in the background. Okay. I mean it's like very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um but 
also, I, I think that even without all of that inner contextuality, if you really were so either A, oblivious to anything that's been happening in pop culture and didn't know what fucking Transformers was, which I think is very difficult it's, it, it in would this still day and age. It was yeah. a huge thing. It, yeah, all this would still work. And I think it, it's, it would still work because Shia LaBeouf is a artist in the true sense of the word that has in at least a few different, on, on at least a few different occasions been very good at examining the cult of celebrity and what it means to be a celebrity and what effect that has not on just like society as a whole but on the individual that is the object of all this attention and he's been very critical of or at least contemplative about that idea at a later age um, when he sees well yeah i mean yeah. you know obviously he wasn't doing it as a kid or whatever yeah. but I, but i mean like the hashtag i am sorry mm-hmm. art installation performance no art piece that he did mm-hmm. um you know i read a lot of reviews of honey boy that were very critical of that they were uh very critical of a lot of his other performance art pieces but i think those are interesting works like he yeah. let people into a space where they could do whatever they wanted to him. Like it was a very interesting look at how will people interact with these like famous people that they admire or whatever when there's no eyes watching them. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a very good kind of almost uh, meditation on um, the trope of child star that we're all familiar with. I mean, we've all known, especially, I mean, even since the yeah, 80s, that yeah. like the child star has a reputation of blowing up at a really young age and like burning out. Right. Especially, violently especially and, if he or and she has parents in place that aren't handling money well. well but, 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 that, but that's another thing, too. I mean, okay, so we've seen Corey Feldman, we've seen McCulloch. Oh, we, the list could go we, on. We've and seen Macaulay Culkin, we've seen Drew Barrymore, we've seen uh-huh. all these people that have risen to child stardom and gone down this destructive path. Uh, and I think that, you know, there, there are a few very notable exceptions where a child finds out, like gets some bug where they really want to act. And they're the ones leading the charge for that. Seth green is the first one that comes Jody to mind. Foster. Um, but most often it's a parent that is trying to fill something that they missed out on or something that they failed at. And they're trying see, to live through the here. kid, which is what this is. And mm-hmm. so I think that, this is one of the most like real and honest and transparent depictions of that situation in which you have a parent that's the one that's really like you yeah, need to do yeah. this like you can do you know whatever and that's a lot of how child stardom happens because there's not one, one, you can't you don't have the agency at a young age to, right. to be like this is what I want to do it's Absolutely. a parent that's pushing it and we yeah. see that in this movie yeah and 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 one of the things that I found interesting is that you're right. I think this is probably the first time we've seen that depicted in a, in a really clear way, but also to see through that, that like, I mean, they're living in a fucking motel room and it's not below, the their, below their means. No, the money that, well, that's it. Like, yeah. what is it? And the only rationale there is I'm, I'm guessing his dad because of his, uh, uh record as a sex offender, couldn't get, uh, an apartment, like couldn't, go and and apply for an apartment or or even Home. yeah yeah so that was keeping them and up. and that's some interesting then that's the research i was trying to do did Shia LaBeouf live in a flop, flop house hotel he he did he, he live did, he did live in hotels a lot during his filming did he live seasons. across from uh, prostitutes of which he had some kind of relationship that's, that's the part that i think is fictionalized and then was the prostitute 
Was she? Um, that Did was the most the beautiful. Heart of gold? That was the most heart of gold. I prostitute with the heart of gold. That well, very know, very big trope. But I hate. I, I I did appreciate that little piece of the movie. Those kinds of um, almost um, hallucinogenic in tone relationship sure. portions. Yeah. They're playing the baseball pantomime game. Yeah. They're uh, sleeping together, but not sleeping together. She's fulfilling Literally the mother sleeping. role. He's you know yeah. using that as a yeah. surrogate mother. Those yeah. parts were beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah, and I some, and, and that is a part. No, that no, I think, David. No, I, I. Well, if I'm being quite honest, I mean, those were some of the more. That was that portion of the film. I think it worked okay, but I do think that was probably where he was leaning the heaviest on something that didn't feel quite authentic to me. It I, felt I, I a little bit more like most. a trope. That well, because well, because I believe that that's part that didn't happen, and I the, think that and might I think be there why were probably I think there were probably a host of more responsible adult figures who came in to his life in various ways over oh, whatever like probably producers directors yeah, but well had, but I'm, but even people who other had, you know fellow yeah. hotel stayers or, you know like chaperone. i'm i'm willing to believe that yeah. his dad was bad enough that there were people who, yeah. event, who mm-hmm. would take pity on him and kind of you know make him feel better or whatever but um, yeah, the, the the fact that it was distilled into this one character who is this film made for the Shia LaBeouf <laughs> It's made for indie Devotee. No, it's not. I don't think because so. If I think it is, this stands on its own. As not that, uh-huh. and I, I know we'll talk about another one of his films soon, which you know, we'll talk about that soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got a, a pretty great career. Yeah, he's done some really great movies. Also, I just want to, because I can get it in a second ago, that I think that that was fictionalized because I know 100% that his dad was a heroin addict, not a coke addict. I mean, he huh. did do coke, and that's why, like, his nose is the way that he was, and Shia mm-hmm. would, like, plug his nose up during scenes to, like, get the voice right and everything like that. But I know that his big drug of choice is a heroin addict, so there's obviously things that were fictionalized, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't need yeah. to be... Oh, no, I don't, I don't care. You know? I, because that's not... I... Those were good scenes. Back to the they point I was trying to make earlier. Are we watching Shia LaBeouf's life? And if we are, then just show that to us. But if you're going to show us... Uh, dramatic, interesting variations with artistic choices about the things that I mentioned a little while ago. What are we making it's here? Based and to on me, that's story. where it broke right. apart from being great and is actually just you know, very good. You should see it. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it stands out. I think it's one that anybody would see and and would see something unique there and would get something out of it. And if you know the Shia LaBeouf backstory, wonderful. You're going to get that. But even if you didn't, I think it's one that, um, from a storytelling, from a narrative standpoint, yeah. I think you're you're going to get something out of it. But did we get something out of this mead that we've been drinking the last? <laughs> I got a, a, a diabetic. I got to go check my insulin. I feel <laughs> you thought that was really sweet. Yeah, it was real dessert whiny for me. I'm, okay. not, I'm not a mead fan. I appreciate tasting it from time to time, and certainly this is the occasion to do so. But this is like a really sweet, sweet dessert wine, and the three of us sharing a bottle in the course of thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Very cloying toward the end of the experience. I don't know what a dessert wine is, so I can't speak to that comparison. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was fine. A port. Something that's sweeter. Just a wine that has more of a sweetness. No point of reference for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had drier yeah. meads. I think I would have enjoyed that more. I think have been a little more interesting. And in fact, the one I mentioned there at the beginning of the episode, Meridian Hive, is one that I've had... Um, and that comes in cans, and if I'm not mistaken, I think at least one 
Anyway, the, they incorporate some other flavors in there too. Hops, they, they bring in hops. Right. Um, th- those I've enjoyed more in the past. This one's okay, but but I, I would agree with what you're saying, Joe. It's definitely a little on the sweeter side, and I've had sweeter, so it wasn't as bad as some of them. But uh, yeah, a whole bottle between three people's much. So I know there's a lot of mead. Like mega enthusiasts, as as one sure. can imagine. For and every I, there's style some great meat out there. I have had yeah. some folks who have brought in. There's a well, meadery. I, you... I think they're out of Michigan, and I'm getting shrams or I don't, I don't that I'm I'm forgetting the name and of the, that. And I've the had three a couple of us are of friends theirs. with local guys. That, that make mead. It's a big introduction, often sometimes to, for to fermentation mead because it's not yeah. hard to make in your home. Yeah. Well, David, I know you went to trouble to find it. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Happy to do it. And uh, we'll be happy to uh, get something else in our glass here on the second half of the episode when we return. Yeah, so uh, in the second half of the episode, we are going to stick with Shia LaBeouf, but we are going to look at another film that was released this year uh, starring him, not written by him, but starring him, that uh, the, the actually had a theatrical release just a couple months ago, and some of us, I, I know I got to see it in the theater. Joe, did you see it? No. At home. Okay. At home, yeah. It, so it's available on demand now, uh, but it is... The Peanut Butter Falcon, and this film. Uh, well, we'll talk about the film in a moment, but the we have beer, a beer that a we have a very perfect pair pair with this. So we have a beer. It is from a brewery called Hubbard's Cave, uh, which is out of Illinois, Chicago. Yep. Yeah. Well, it says Niles. Okay, the, the, so I think their brewery David. is just outside. Just outside. Niles. Uh, <laughs> we both look to the. We both look over to David as our resident Chicago expert. Yeah, Hubbard's Cave, a peanut butter cup imperial ah, stout. Now that's um, a pairing. That's a pairing. This bad boy comes in at twelve percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crack that open, Carlos. Yeah, delicious. And you can hear all twelve percent in the can opening. <laughs> right. Oh, Thank you very good. much. So, as I was saying uh, earlier about the film that we're talking about, so yeah, pl- pouring black here, like we would want a stout. Mm, just, that smells delicious. Really, real thin head. Yeah, but it's got a really delicious looking color. So, so the film here, uh, Peanut Butter Falcon, was released a couple months ago. Was it? I think it made the sort of independent festival circuit back in the spring. Did well, as I recall. Yeah, and uh, it's how Sund- well, Joe? Sundance back in January. Well, are you talking about box office well? No, I'm talking about its premiere. Yeah. No, it it was received well, Uh uh, picked up for distribution, came out this this fall, and actually did well at the box office. Yeah, it's. uh, I was doing a little research today. A little over $20 million gross. It's the most successful independent film of the year, financially. That's awesome. Budget to return. Yeah. Love it. Um, but uh, love to see an indie movie do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, uh, small scale film, right? Directed by actually a team of directors, Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz, who I don't know their work from the before Schwartz this. Schwartz was definitely with him, um, and and written by this duo. 
And it's it's a nobody in Bueller. I got it. <laughs> story um, set in North Carolina. David, where, the, David, the professor is trying to keep us on track. Yeah. You, <laughs> you you have a oh, uh, me. that's okay. You you kind of have these parallel stories of a young man who is struggling with um, the death of his brother, yeah. and and it's sort of acting out in the aftermath of that, and uh, and being somewhat. What are John, you talking John about, Bernthal? my brother? Yeah, is, that his is brother, the brother. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, good you know, casting. Yeah, I absolutely, like absolutely. The flashbacks we get yeah. with him are great. Um, and so this man kind of trying to find his place, being the irresponsible brother out of the two, it seems, um, and not really being able to kind of follow in his brother's footsteps, maybe in the way that he would want want to have. As a they were sh- was it catfish or no, not catfish, they were uh, crawfish or shrimpers? Yeah. I don't know. Shrimp. I mean, yeah. Um, no. And so the crab. Crab. Okay, mm-hmm. there we go. And not being able to follow in his brother's footsteps so easily and kind of cast out from that community. And then you have a young man with Down syndrome who's living in an assisted living facility that's run by the state. He's or, basically living in a retirement home. Right. It's like not where because they he's don't have a good facility for yeah. him. Yeah, he's he's familyless. Yeah, and right. it has no means. Yeah. So the state. But he's system, of an age where he's yeah like. Probably early twenties. The state system teens, is putting yeah. putting him into places, and he lives yeah in a, uh, a retirement home. Retirement home. Yeah, his roommate Bruce being Stern. Bruce Stern. That which is pretty great. I, I mean, yeah. this is a, a great I, Bruce Stern. A little cameo does a great job. Yeah. And and so he, but he wants to leave this facility. He does leave this facility. He wants to leave the facility because he watches a video every single day. <laughs> that's a twenty year old VHS the tape saltwater of redneck. the saltwater redneck wrestling school. Uh, played by Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. And if you can come to this school, you'll learn how to be a wrestler just like me. Yeah. And he that's all he wants to throw. do. And I'm and David, you have young kids. I have kids uh that were young once upon a time. A they kid. get fixated on a video and they watch that same video every single day. And that's what this kid is doing. Yeah. To the chagrin of his roommate who helps him escape. Right. Wow. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. No. Yeah. No. So, but, but, but that's then, where but you bring these two characters together, yeah. and it becomes kind of a road movie, and and it's about this journey that these two characters go it's on. A, Tom and Huck kind of sort of. Mark, oh, yeah. It's very Mark Twainian. Yeah. And it's, it's a journey. Uh, it's on a, the road. Yeah. You know, two young guys. It's very Mark Twainian in the sense uh, of Huckleberry uh, Finn is about Jim and Huck going down a river, and that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked in the first half about um, certain critics very um, unfortunately trying to We're label... talking about you, Kenny. Yes. Uh, <laughs> trying to label FKA Twigs as a distraction to meet a uh, hypnose quotient, mm-hmm. if you will. I'll tell you what I found distracting. and my Ooh, It is my only it criticism... better not be John Hawks because I love that it guy. It is my only criticism criticism of this film. Is you, we, we get a Yellow Wolf cameo very early oh. on, and boy, do I fucking hate Yellow Wolf. And I don't like looking at him. I don't like hearing him talk or rap or do anything. And he is the really shitty one that kicks the shit out of Shia LaBeouf uh, in oh. the very beginning that's covered See, in tattoos. See, now this is where my... Total lack of knowledge about Yellow Wolf really yeah. benefited me. Benefited because didn't, didn't I had care. no idea who this guy. I just I thought he was, was like, supposed to be this guy. Stereotype, was just an actor. stereotypical redneck 
gonna beat him. Well, out. he is right. though. Like that's his whole shtick. Is oh, is that it he's really? Like it's a so redneck rapper. He's like a worse than Kid Rock. Yes, kind he of is. Kid. Oh. Well, uh, might not be worse. Kid Rock's pretty bad. We should also add that Dakota Johnson is the caseworker of yes, the uh, young man with. Uh, and I found them. the SNM stuff they incorporated into this. <laughs> very, just, it was very redundant. Distracting. We didn't need yes, it. No, we, we've seen no, that. No, we've no, seen that no. before. No, I. This is probably. I want to say the first time I've seen her and been like. Yes, this is good. I, I like, get it I now. very much like you yeah. in this. I thought she was, she, so she's uh, I never the saw one. the Fifty Shades mm-hmm. stuff. No, I didn't either. I didn't either. Uh, yeah. So you've got. She, uh, well, she, so he escapes and she's the one that, she isn't tasked with it, oh, uh, but she really is. Well, she's uh, the caseworker who she's, realizes she's that com- he's not in the right place. Yeah, and it. she's committed to tracking him down yeah. to make sure that he doesn't fall between the cracks. and like. But really also doesn't him. like the system. Has, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, meets Shia LaBeouf very early on. Mm-hmm. He spits game. Doesn't go super great at first. But yeah, then they build a raft thanks to this old blind <laughs> man who baptizes them. And they set off down the river to try to get to uh, North the Carolina. The saltwater rednecks. Uh, Is it in North Carolina? It it starts in North Carolina. Do they, I think they. Uh, stay, I thought that's where they were going. Yeah, they're in, no, they're in there the whole time. Oh, I think okay. it's all North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, to find this guy to because he's like you know what that's where you want to go. We're gonna. And so there. the film is them creating a relationship where they yeah. you know pretty pretty common tropes here. It's a we he, he weak. We can't, we're not right for one another, but we yeah. are perfectly right for one another. And, and the existence of one another in our lives is exactly what we need right now for us to be able to fulfill our lives as they need to be fulfilled currently. He, yeah, he gives he gives Shia some kind of motivation and a reason to escape the uh, world that he's been living in, especially because there's people looking for him because he burned their boat to the mm-hmm. into the depths of the water, not to the ground because it's a boat. Um, and he is the classic case of I don't really understand who you are or what you have or what it is that's going on with you, and so I'm going to encourage you to do all of the things everybody says you can't do because who the fuck says you can't do that? You well, can I also that. see that without a figure like me, you are in great peril. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean the thing. The thing where that that kind of trope about the, you know, kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, simpleton that's mm-hmm. kind of doing what most would consider is bad for uh, for the boy, but also, but it seems to be helping him is that when Dakota Johnson finds them and she's trying to like coddle him and baby him again, he's like, yo, no, what are you doing? He can do that himself. Right. He can handle himself. He's, right. a, he's a grown how man. Can, like, you know, how and, can um, he be expected to learn how to make his way in the world if, if you won't the figures him, right? in his life are... Trying to yeah. help his every so need. Hold his hand every where I, he goes. I think, you know, what Joe Joe mentioned earlier that this this film was somewhat predictable in, in how it was I mean, it's something that we we've no, seen. I did, I, actually I didn't say that. Okay. I, I, well, the, the the plot elements are there for, you know, two mismatched people to go on a buddy road right. movie, or in this case a down the river right. movie. And and I agree with that. Yeah. I totally believe like from the very beginning, I kind of understood where it was going. Once mm-hmm. they got together, I'm like, of course that's what's going to happen. And yeah. it does. So for me, what sells this film is the quality of the performances. Yep, so good. Um, and, and the quality of the writing to some extent, like putting them in the right scenarios, getting them in the right thing. But that was all there. And, and it was beautiful. I think Shia LaBeouf, I think, did an amazing job. With the characterization of what is the character's name? It is uh, Tyler, Tyler, and and Zach, who is you know the character's name is Zach, the actor's name is Zach, um, Zach Gotsigan, Gotsigan. Um, 
I think they had a great chemistry. I think yeah. they worked well together. And there were just some great scenes. And even, I, I think, what you guys were saying about Dakota Johnson. Yeah. I had liked her in Suspiria as well. Uh, I didn't see that. Didn't yeah. You? The, the, the new Suspiria. You should see it mm-hmm. at some point. It's really, it's pretty good. Will do. That, my, my take on it. But you get, you get those, that kind of triumvirate there. I think they did a really good job. And then the support from people like John Hawks, Bruce yeah. Stern, Thomas Hayden Church, John Bernthal... Mick Foley showing up Mm -hmm. in a little cameo there. I mean, I think there's just so much, and Jake the Snake. And I think I think there's so much richness of personality in the film. There was never a moment where I wasn't totally into what was going on, even if I knew, yeah, this is going to be a journey where they both come to learn parts about themselves, about each other, and they're going to have this strong bond, and we're going to end the film, and it's going to be them together. It all happened. Right. It was that. Quick question. What and you can, what? What was it that you found to be the most? Uh, what element of this was the most predictable to you? I, I see. I didn't because I, I, I can. I, I can tell no you what mine predictability. Was. Really. There was a moment in the really? film, especially towards the end, where I knew one hundred percent that he was going to do the atomic throw. Oh, like yeah. I oh, knew sure. he was going to pull it off. Yeah. Sure. And even though I saw it coming, a hundred right. Thousand miles away, you were still it was still, still. I wasn't surprised, it. but you it was still it. so gratifying. Yeah. It was still that's, so fucking that's good. That's the quality of the performance. And you know what? It You're also so happy has, when he does obviously it. we've had this sort of film before, but, a thousand times. But this is a very stark. You, you have a Down syndrome mm-hmm. actor and playing a Down syndrome character who's being looked down no, upon by so back. many others that you get. That's an element that I haven't seen over and over again there's right. a, lots of characters who are downtrodden or, and who, who have, or, or actors who play some kind of right. uh, mental handicap right yeah. but th- but this so this brings a certain dimension it to it that that can't be denied and i think like i said i think zach does an amazing job that the character and the actor let me restate something job. i said earlier hundred percent of it is predictable. Mm-hmm. The idea that Dakota Johnson and Shia LaBeouf are going to end up in some kind of romantic thing at the end is predictable from yes. every single screenwriting 101 of bad movie class mm-hmm. that you've ever taken. I love they that pull thing. it off. Yeah. They pull off every single bit of it. Right. They they get to the wrestling school come hell or high mm-hmm. water. They um, do but don't thwart the the bad guys that are in pursuit of them. Right. Uh, they do and they don't. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, there's a very happy ending. The film makes you feel so good that you forgive every bit of it. I is is is, is it basically yeah. at the end of it for me? The film makes you feel so good, and the performances are so well, nice the, and sweet, and the the narrative just ticks along at a pace that is comfortable. And, and yes, you've seen it a thousand times in one way or another, but it is just such a feel-good movie that the feel-good forgives any any kind of criticism of the film at all. And I definitely think you should see this one. Quick short thing. The first thing I thought after Honey Boy was, wow, what a spectrum yeah. this man as an artist has yeah. navigated. You're in love with him a little bit. Navigated in... The, 2019 because right. mm-hmm. i i felt amazing after well he sets himself up for a very interesting return playing this because he has taken a break from film acting sort of and certainly he's, and certainly taken he slowed down well he, slowed and he, down he, he sure. went a different path because here i am doing transformers and i'm gonna go right into indiana jones and then i'm gonna go right into you follow me that this is my my what? career trajectory is the harrison ford 
just follow me. We're, yeah, no, 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 no. I, right. I, I told you of saying. now. Yeah, not the charisma, not the charisma of, of of Harrison Ford, not the machismo mm. of Harrison Ford. But I think he's more charismatic than Harrison Ford. Oh, not in this. Well, we, this episode's too long for me to pursue that <laughs> piece of crap. But, um, but you're right. He's come out in 2019. I think setting himself up for the next two or three years. People are going to be paying attention to what he's doing from an artistic point of view, and not just a I, a, a, a box office dollar. Point I think a smaller, more dedicated audience will be following what he's doing. As, as which I think is on. the way he's designing it. To I, be yeah, no, with I you. think yeah. I think he is consciously chosen to well he he wants to be an artist i uh-huh. think he wants to i think he is an artist yeah no, but okay but it's a conscious but the choice film titles that i said a little while ago might have taken him away from artistry and more into commercial success as right. a whole Agreed. i think i think he you know well, michael, starting his michael career Bay. yeah starting his career as early as he did and in the way that he did as sort of like this is how you make a living this mm-hmm. is how you make a not just make a living but how you sort of bankroll your family like you know like create this thing that yeah it was about just how do you get the most lucrative jobs you can and he was able to get those jobs he was going out for those auditions and he was getting those roles and then i think he had had earned every single one of them sure built a career to that point right but i'm but i'm saying like i think he got to a point with that and i think we're kind of seeing it dramatized in honey boy where he reached another level of understanding where okay fine i can pursue this stuff for those reasons or I can pursue it to kind of express something in myself or, or to the world. And I think then you see him turn in performances like these, and it's undoubtedly, um, you know, it, it is top-notch acting mm-hmm. and and top-notch storytelling. And the, and that's what's exciting to see. I think with Honey Boy is, I know he's written some shorts and directed some shorts, but is that the first feature that he wrote? I believe so. Yeah. At least the first one he wrote that was made. Right. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I I think what you're saying, Joe, like 2019 establishes him. I think it does to a, to a more niche audience. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I'm part of that audience. And I'm excited to see what he continues to make. And I think other people who are cinephiles are going to be excited to see things that he makes because he's clearly somebody who wants to be a good storyteller and wants to show things that we haven't seen before. That I'm excited about. I think Peanut Butter Falcon uh, grows in stature as one of those feel-good movies that everyone should see. The way that Shawshank Redemption uh, did. Shawshank Redemption was not a big box office success at all when it first came out and has grown in stature because once you watch it, you just feel so good when you do. Peanut Butter Falcon, I think, is... uh, Hmm. That's an different interesting content, comparison. but along the same lines. I, I can I say agree f- with that for sure. I saw this with my young daughter. Oh yeah, and what, what did what did they think? Because my younger my young daughter, not a little bit older than yours, yeah. rejected the notion of it from the trailer and synopsis. Oh, yeah. But we drug her back and made her watch it, and she was glad that we did. Yeah. Um, I would never drug my children, but, <laughs> but just, you know, well, the final scene in honey boy, I mean, I'm <laughs> more along that line. I, uh, I did. Yeah, no, they quick, loved it. Quick they loved it. They loved it. They weren't sold on it. I told them it was about a young kid who wants to become a wrestler. That was how I told you. Know, I'm like, okay, yeah, we're going to go see this pitch. movie about a kid. And so they're like, huh? You know, they, because they're not into wrestling. But yeah, once we were I'm there. Surprised those, were, I'm surprised those kids don't trust their dad. And they're watching it. They loved it. They thought it Good. was a lot of fun. So, I mean, th- this is, you know, for, and it was tense. Because, you know, when he goes into the ring, they're worried he's going to get hurt. and you know, th- so yeah. It is because, I mean, they go hard on it. Yeah. Oh, and speaking do. of tense, there's a scene 
where they're navigating their raft through marshes and then the folks that are pursuing them with blood, like with 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 murder right. on their mind, yeah. are looking in those same marshes. That was some great filmmaking. Great tense yeah, it was. filmmaking. Yeah. All right. Speaking of great. Great movie. This tastes like a Reese's. Peanut butter this cup imperial tastes... stout by Hubbard's Cave and look, out of Illinois. Let me tell you. I have eaten a great many Reese's in my life. It is my favorite candy. Is bar. it the best candy ever? Mm. Uh, a Reese's Big Cup, not the big cup that has the Reese's pieces in it, mm-hmm. but just the standard the big cup. Big cup. Is you like you prefer of, that peanut butter to chocolate ratio over the normal cup? Yes, well, I'm with you. Uh, one of the greatest mass produced candies yeah. ever mass produced. Yes. Wow. And this tastes a lot like that and I love it. Well, the name would suggest that that's what they were going for, the but peanut butter had, cup imperial style. We've had that before that hasn't lived up to the name. Like we've had peanut butter beers that might not necessarily. Yeah. I'm not saying that we have on the podcast, but just in our no. personal No. Well, lives. Uh, we had ridiculous that that AF. Uh, yes, that, tastes less like a Reese's than this though. Yeah, but it, it's a good execution. It's really good. Mm, it, God, but I, I like agree. to do those this, side by side. But this really tastes like a Reese's. A saloon door ridiculous yeah. AF is what we're It doesn't taste to. like a beer. It yeah. tastes like a Reese's. It's really good. No, it it's tastes crazy. like a beer to me. It's delicious. I would like to do it side by side by that ridiculous AF and a peanut butter stout cup off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's the name of that. I want to know more about Hubbard's Cave and I want to know I want to know it immediately. I uh, uh, thanks to David have had the the strawberry. Yeah, one. we've 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 had a few, not on the mics. I don't no, think no, no, we no. haven't had any no. on the show. I, I personally asked. Great you job, Hubbard's Cave. If you have an opportunity ones. to ch- to they, find them, strangely enough, they're like they they kind of have. It's the same guy has two different labels, and I'm not sure how that all shakes out. But one is called Unane, and it tends to be more sours and uh, wild ales and that and that kind of thing. And then he has Hubbard's Cave, which is more your traditional, well, traditional, but like your more Americentric IPAs, Imperial Porters, yeah. Imperial Stouts, that kind of thing. So, well, uh, I personally <laughs> loved Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Ooh, Falcon. Oh, I'm um, I think we all liked them at least. Yeah. Um, we would love to know what you think about both films, and if you have. Uh, what your mead feelings are and if you've ever had this Hubbard's Cave, what you think. Um, of course, you can get in contact with us on all of the popular social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, on Instagram at Beer in a Movie, and of course, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX. Beer and Movie Podcast.com is our homepage. You can find a link to listen to this episode and all of our past episodes absolutely for free. As I've said once, and I'll say it a thousand more times, we are the podcast of the people. If you were listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. We know you're going to give us that five-star rating, but leaving us a written review tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more helps in the future. Out. It helps us out a great deal. And subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that helps you stay up to date with when we are releasing new episodes and all of that goodness. Um, but until next time, this has been Beer in a Movie. This has been Honey Boy. This has been Peter, Peanut Butter Falcon. And uh, fuck Glenn Kenny. <laughs> If you're a listener of this podcast to any length of time, you know that we've got three theaters in our town. Our fine city of Corpus Christi, Texas, where we record every week. Yeah. There is the Alamo Draft House, which we gu- we gush over. Yeah. Then for your um, 
stadium seating, blockbuster films. You have also Very got a small Cinemark IMAX theater. A Cinemark with the IMAX that David understands now is not a real <laughs> IMAX, but he didn't. I've been that. schooled. Yeah. yeah. And it's got, what, 16 screens and, you know. Yeah, yeah. there's a good amount of screens at Century. And then you have the, the Rat AMC Theater. AMC owned. The Rat Theater. The Rat Theater. Yeah. It's called the Rat Theater because here they in Corpus rats. Christi, there was a big mouse problem that went on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And every time I go there, there's a bar, but there's never a bartender. There was when I went. Oh. What, at one o'clock in the afternoon? Did you go night? No, oh, Sunday one. Because at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there was no bartender to be found, but there was six taps, but only two existed with actual handles on them, and there uh, were two beers that I probably owned by Constellation. Recall. Yeah. Um, Good callback. So I went, went and got a soda instead, where yeah. of the six self-service Coca-Cola machines, all six of them were out of ice. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got stories about my... See, I didn't uh, even... I knew going into it, I'm like, this is going to be a no-snack screening. I am not... Trusting them with popcorn. No, we, we did popcorn. Not, I don't even trust them handling candy in a sealed box. <laughs> we did popcorn and God, candy no. in a sealed box. I, I mean, I mean, I did do popcorn, but I it wasn't because I trusted them. It was because I like to live dangerously. <laughs> but but uh, well, we so, kept our feet up on the backs of the chairs in front of us the whole time because if something furry had run across my foot yeah. wearing flip flops in the middle of that screening, well, the, I would have well, come unglued. The, the, well, the first thing I have to say is there's no reason to wear flip flops in public. Just first and foremost. Oh, oh man, I'm a very, I'm a very anti flip flop. And you, and you just said you wanted to live dangerously. Yeah, and now you're that's saying, huh? too that's dangerous. Exactly for me. why I do. Too dangerous. Dude, but socks, but that has nothing to do with the theater. Are bane. Yeah, I showed up in oh, flip flops right. to, to the chagrin but, of you. Right. But. Welcome to flip flops in a movie. Uh, <laughs> but we have this really interesting relationship with this theater because every single year there is at least one high profile indie film and there's called indie film yeah. that doesn't show anywhere except for the rat theater right. and i the last 3 years as far as i can remember it has gone in this maybe i'm at slightly out of order but there have been three notable ones that i either wanted to go see and wouldn't go to the rat theater for or did suffer through the rat theater scene for the sake of first, the podcast most likely yes for or yeah i think so first sorry to bother you mm-hmm. yeah uh, that was in our films we missed episode because i think only david went and saw it in the theater i did, i braved the rat i think that might have been the last one that i did brave the rat theater for and then after that i believe i didn't look this up beforehand going off the top phantom thread that was one that that was before we, though, right? I thought it was after. I could be no, wrong. No, that's before. That was before. Either way, but you're right. It was there. Phantom Thread was there, and we had you know have friends that work at Alamo, and they told us it does not look like we're getting Phantom Thread. The projectionist told me he might have been the assistant at the time, uh, former guest of the podcast, uh, Josh, Josh the projectionist Delion, not Josh the blind owl Delion. Uh, said he went to see it at Starplex because he didn't think Alamo was going to get it, and he works there and he as a right. projectionist. He right. No, they he was not it. right because they, they got, got it. it. Like they got it right around Oscar time. It was after oh. its like initial run or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then they oh, did I like okay. I think I think every year they do a these are the best picture nominations mm. come see him kind of thing. But anyway, so Phantom Thread. Sorry to bother you. And then this one is another notable one, and I'm sure there's been more. But Pain those and the... Glory recently, I th- okay. I almost braved it for that. The Almodovar film yeah. that is uh, getting a lot of buzz for. So it get they program decent. Banderas. 
films, but mm-hmm. it is a dumpster of a theater. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. terrible. Okay, so just to... Joe has stories, as he's already given us. The, I've got one more. No, no ice, no, um, uh-huh. but no, no, no ice, bartender. no bartender, feet up on the backs of the seat. Oh, yeah. Um, flip-flops. Uh, <laughs> but, that was my own personal horror. But... I went and saw this movie, right? And we sat down. There was almost nobody else in the theater with us, as I'm sure was the experience with the two of you as well. Right. I know for you, there were there were three people. Other I think than there me. were t- one or two, and one of them got out, got up in the first half of the movie and left, and I didn't see him come back. But did you guys experience trailers with only half yeah, the yeah, sound? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the mix of the sound. There were clearly like speakers that were either out or something about the surround the mix. mix that they had. Yeah. It was, was like, it was, okay, it was... The a, dialogue was totally dropped and, like... It was non-existent through most of it. Most of it. And there it, were it a couple a, where the mix brought it back in. A but little yeah. bit when the score dipped out, but it was as if you were listening to a stereo with only the right channel. But Correct. it's Correct. more complicated than that because this is, a, like, probably a 5.1 surround right. or whatever. Right. So you're missing weird bits and pieces of it. Correct. And there were... Th- they were good tra- trailers for the most part. Sure, like sure. I was interested in the Kristen Stewart one. Seaberg is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, no dialogue for looks, that trailer. Looks like an Amazon project. No mm-hmm. dialogue for the Just Mercy. I think is the Denzel right. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. No dialogue for Antlers. Jamie Fox. Jamie uh, Fox, right. not Denzel. Sorry, Jamie Fox. Um, no dialogue. There was a fourth one that there was no dialogue. But there was for. some dialogue. I, mean, I remember some we, dialogue, but it would drop out I, for characters. See, I saw in, some of this, be, but I actually went out at that point okay. and talked to them because they're like, Oh, you're that guy? I'm a little, well, no, I'm like, I'm I was, worried there's not going to be dialogue for during Honey Boy. the film. Yeah, me right. too. Because the trailers are dropping dialogue like pretty much consistently. And he's like, Oh, yeah, that's supposed to happen. It's going to be fine for the movie. Or like, that is something that we know about. We know that's happening. We just don't want to fix don't it. Don't worry about it. The movie's going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, you're well, not paying for the trailers. <laughs> uh, correction. Yes, I am. Well, it's part of the experience. We go to Alamo 95% of the time, and I have just got to tell you how much I love that theater because I was have been spoiled there with a entertaining custom-made for the film, usually pre-show, yeah. as opposed to the 30 minutes of Coca-Cola, AT&T, Google, etc. commercials that precede yeah. the trailers. It was brutal. So this so is Marie Menounos I was gonna looking say, pretty doesn't doesn't say does not ripe the ship. Well, yeah. they're it doing AMC it here well? too. Okay. Yeah. So you said Phantom Thread was before. Sorry to bother you. I don't know. It, when it, I went to, I thought it was because I did go there for that. And but I it was before so. the podcast. I think so. I think so. I think it was before the podcast. Yeah. Sorry so. to bother you. Wasn't Phantom Sorry. Thread was? Yes, you're right. So Phantom Thread was first. So when I went to see Phantom Thread the first time, I walked into a almost non if not just barely air conditioned theater uh-huh. that during the pre-show was at like feature presentation lighting uh-huh. so almost pitch black with no pre-show on the screen mm-hmm. it was just a really dark humid dead silent theater and there was actually <laughs> much to you know i was pleasantly surprised that there were a good amount of people in the theater which made it weirder cuz you yeah. could hear every movement every whisper of every, every person in crinkle theater. of popcorn and it tub. wasn't in so we got there about 15 minutes early because i i'm always there early yeah. it wasn't until about 30 minutes after the scheduled start time that i convinced my wife to get up and get our money back the movie never showed what it never showed wow. and nobody came in to say anything nobody did and any. when you reported it they weren't like oh we well no it. somebody went out 
about 15 minutes in to uh-huh. talk to somebody, came back in, didn't say anything to anybody like a fucking asshole. <laughs> and so finally I was like, hey. Did they tell you something? What, what did you hear? Like, you don't want to share, you know, yeah. your information with the class or you don't want to, you know, whatever. And uh, they were like, oh, it, they're working on it. And I was like, all right, well, okay. And then I, and I then, think we may then, need to separate this out as then, a mini. <laughs> and then and then 30 minutes later, I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, when when are we going to draw the line? Because she kept wanting to wait. She was like, no, because she was... At Don't the, get it. At, at this point, she was still very staunchly defending the theater as a whole. Really? Yeah. And it was, I think that was the straw that broke that's the camera's history back though. for her. Yeah, for wow. sure. I mean, that, cause, cause that's the one that was the first to, stadium theater in Corpus as, Christi. As and it was kid. packed a lot when of, it first opened up. Yeah. It was a great movie theater. That was now always, it's this always, silent, silent, uh, sunrise mall like movie. Yes, it's theater. very sunrise. mall. Well, the icing on the cake for us was we stepped into the empty screening, the empty theater 15 minutes ahead of time. And it, there was no air conditioning. It was just uh, hot. Weird. It was a hot box. So, so I went out and said, hey, are y'all going to turn the air conditioner on? Because I, we can't stay. And yeah. then they went to turn it on. But we were the only three people in the theater. So I fess, someone made the executive decision of, if there's no one in there, let's not pay let's to... Let's not pay to run yeah. AZ. When I finally got to it see It got Phantom, comfortable 10 minutes into the film. When I finally got to see Phantom Thread, I went a second time to Starplex. After that first fiasco, uh-huh. I still wanted to see it bad enough. And there were enough people... That were like, come on, we're going at this time. Come with us. Like, you know, uh-huh. don't be an asshole. And I was like, okay, fine. So we went, and there was one of those. Um, it, it's like um, I'm doing a thing with my hands, which is <laughs> doesn't work for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But it's like a, a monolith looking okay uh, thing that has like a hose that runs out the window. If you were using, oh it in the yeah, house. yeah, yeah. There was a one of those in the theater. Standalone air conditioner. Yeah, there was one of those heater. in the theater. Wh- which it was, was an it? air conditioner wow. running. The whole time, and Phantom Thread is a quiet film. Oh yeah, it was no terrible. Wow. Well, I asked her, and I'll ask y'all: How does that place stay open? I have no, I don't know, honestly. Uh, well, when I'm, I was there, I was when like, when I looked no into that, when I looked into the ticket takers' dead eyes, and I told them about. <laughs> Did you go the, on Sunday? No, I went okay. on Friday. I went on Friday, and uh, I could see there wasn't much there and I think it has something to do with I believe it is zombies running the theater but not like not new school George Romero zombies like old school voodoo zombies where mm, they've cast a spell I on see. them and they're working for nothing well, that and- doesn't answer my question I think it's <laughs> I think it's the 450 price for the matinee oh, $4.50 really? yeah. it was 450 when I was there and there were like 12 people mm. in the lobby when I'm, talking I got about, there. I'm talking about customers coming because it's a discount theater Basically. Yeah, I've, I mean, I have friends that go there because it's the cheapest option. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I don't. But it's like, either. but but shouts out Jenna. She draft listens to the house is six bucks a, a, no. for a matinee. Well, for for a matinee, for a matinee, it's six. Yeah, but are they four fifty at night at the I AMC? No, I don't know. But no, it is, but it is price. always cheaper though. Compared okay. to the yeah. Anyway, all right. Let's we, move we, on to the this, film, this shall we? Long tangent. It was a long. No, tangent. I don't mind the tangent because I don't care where you're listening to this. It, there is the cheap, you have crappy theater. theater. You've got the, a rat the theater, theater that's falling. You've into got this a rat repair. theater. Yeah, You've got a rat probably. theater. Maybe it's a mold theater. Or maybe it's a bat theater. There were bats at Starplex at <laughs> yeah. one point. Maybe it's a uh, murder theater. It could be. Yeah. There was a uh, that one shooting outside of Starplex yeah. like ten or fifteen really? years ago. Yeah, so yeah. I, would, I don't know. I think a stabbing or two. You know, Jeez. just that's what it is. Yeah, it is. 